Welcome to the HF21 series on the Canadian Heart Failure Society perspective and case-based approach on the 2021 Canadian Heart Failure Society and Canadian Cardiovascular Society Heart Failure Guidelines. In this episode entitled Unfriendly Neighbors, Cardiorenal Syndrome and Heart Failure, we will review the recommendations from the management of patients with heart failure and cardiorenal syndrome, otherwise known as CRS, based on the 2021 Canadian Cardiovascular Society and Canadian Heart Failure Society Heart Failure Guidelines Update. I'll share with you practical information for monitoring electrolytes and creatinine, managing loop diuretics, and addressing persistent volume overload and diuretic resistance. An on-demand version of the 30-minute episode presented by Dr. Jonathan Howlett on the same topic is available right now on www.imedicus.ca forward slash HF21. To learn more about the Canadian Heart Failure Society and find out more about upcoming programs and initiatives, please visit www.heartfailure.ca. We hope you enjoy this episode. So my name is Graham Wong. I am the program director for the adult cardiology training program at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, and I will be walking you through today's case. I'd like to introduce our patient. We'll call her Doris. Doris is a 74-year-old female who is known to have diabetes with a hemoglobin A1C of 7.1, as well as permanent atrial fibrillation with a CHADS 2 score of 2. She is known to have mild renal dysfunction with an EGFR of 40 mils per minute per meter squared. She presents to you with marked plus three pedal edema and a progressive decrease in her exercise tolerance. A recent echocardiogram showed an ejection fraction of 44% with plus two tricuspid regurgitation and plus one mitral regurgitation. This Ejection fraction has been fairly stable and has not been repeated recently. A nuclear medicine assessment showed no evidence of ischemia and therefore it is presumed that Doris has a non-ischemic cardiomyopathy. She's well medicated and she presents to you on the following heart failure medications. Spironolactone, 50 milligrams daily. Herbisartan, 150 milligrams daily. Bisoprolol, 10 milligrams daily. Ferrosamide, 40 milligrams daily, apixaban, five milligrams twice a day, as well as metformin, 500 milligrams twice a day. When you examine her, you note that her blood pressure is reasonable at 134 over 82. Her heart rate is 68 beats a minute and irregular in keeping with her atrial fibrillation. However, she does have an elevation in her NTBNP at 1200 picograms per nanoliter with normal being defined as less than 425. Her BON is also elevated at 17 with normal being defined as less than 12. Her creatinine today is slightly above her baseline at 165 with a normal being less than 142 and her potassium is also elevated at 5.2. We know that previous workup for amyloid, both AL and ATTTR, have been negative in the past. Now, she presents to the emergency room with her edema and also complains of difficulty in breathing, particularly when walking. A repeat echocardiogram done in the emergency room 
showed an EF of 38%, which is slightly lower than her baseline of 44%. She is admitted to the hospital and she started on a diuretic regimen consisting of 80 milligrams of furosemide IV daily. Unfortunately, despite two days of this particular dose of furosemide, she has only lost half a kilogram and her creatinine has come and climbed in the wrong direction from 168 up to 200. So now we have a conundrum. This lady here clearly is in heart failure, but has not responded to intravenous diuretic therapy, despite having clinical and biochemical evidence of volume overload. And despite IV diuresis, her renal function has actually worsened. So I want to take a little step back here that this represents a typical case of decompensated heart failure, and it represents a case in which it is therapeutically extraordinarily difficult to manage because although on paper, heart failure should be relatively easy to manage with straightforward volume overload, clearly this case illustrates that this is often not this case and clearly Doris is a bit more complicated. Therefore, the Canadian Heart Failure Society and CCS guidelines have recommended that patients with um, CRS, um, cardiorenal syndrome, should be managed by a multidisciplinary and multi-specialty team it is, if it is found that they do not respond in a straightforward fashion with diuretic therapy should a patient be admitted with volume overload with renal dysfunction. Interestingly, although the knee-jerk reaction would be to cut back on diuretic if the creatinine worsens and, re and renal function worsens, patients with persistent volume overload despite optimal medical therapy, you may actually require additional loop diuretic therapy or maybe even addition of a second diuretic. However, if this is the case, it is very important to monitor morning weight, renal function, and serum potassium. Patients who have cardiorenal syndrome, who then develop what we call diuretic resistance, should be tried on stepped pharmacological therapy, which is consisting of increasing your diuretic dose to achieve a three to five liter urine output until you achieve euvolemia. Now, it's important to distinguish diuretic resistance from low cardiac output, and that's why careful clinical and biochemical monitoring while you achieve uh, these goals is very, very important. It is also important to recognize that increased serum creatinine with diuresis with improved heart failure symptoms may not necessarily mean you have a poor outcome. So we don't want to necessarily focus exclusively on the serum creatinine. And why is this? We know that both type one and type two cardiorenal syndrome are independently associated with increased mortality and morbidity um, that an increase in creatinine does pretend to an ex, uh, a worsening um, clinical prognosis. In fact, if you have chronic kidney disease, it uh, doubles the risk of all-cause mortality and it complicates up to one-third of patients and it can actually uh, occur during up to a quarter of patients during their acute hospitalization. Now, the use of diuretics in patients who have congestion is complicated by the fact that the loop diuretic can be negated by actions at the distal tubule, which can cause compensatory sodium and water absorption and therefore negate the potential benefits of your loop diuretic. Therefore, 
the impact of a loop diuretic may be mitigated, but yet you might have worsening renal function by decreasing blood supply uh, to the renal tubules. Now, the consequences of decline in renal function very much depend on the clinical setting. Worsening renal function is only associated with worse prognosis with persistent signs of congestion and discharge. And therefore, it is extraordinarily important that irrespective of creatinine and renal function, achieving euvolemia is a goal that should be sought in any patient with acute decompensated heart failure, even though, and especially with patients with cardiorenal syndrome. This is often very difficult, which again, speaks to our importance for a multidisciplinary approach. So in this case, specifically, how are we gonna deal with Doris, who clearly is volume overloaded, clearly has worsening renal function despite diuretic therapy. And the question is how best to change her acute management to achieve euvolemia and yet to try and mitigate any additional worsening of her evolving cardiorenal syndrome. Well, the first thing you can do is once the creatinine is stable and the symptoms have improved, you can prescribe an ARNI, Sibucatrol, Valsartan to replace the ACE inhibitor as the ARNI has additional diuretic effects. Once the patient is hemodynamically stable, you can prescribe and titrate an SGLT2 inhibitor. Uh, obviously, this will be of great importance if she is diabetic, although the benefit of these agents has also been shown to be present for the non-diabetic cohorts. But the purpose of this would be to uh, maintain your hemoglobin A1C and to provide additional LV enhancing therapy as part of the foundational therapy approach to the new guidelines. Now, blunting the renoangiotensin and aldosterone system um, can be useful at blunting the pathogenic processes of cardiorenal syndrome. We have to recognize that you can try and not focus too much on the creatinine as increased creatinine may not be associated with poor outcomes of heart failure symptoms have improved. And as opposed to cutting back on the diuretic, you actually might need to add a diuretic to increase the chances of more naturesis and more diuresis to go and get the end diastolic pressure lower bring the patient back onto the more steep part of the Frank Starling curve, which will then paradoxically actually increase renal blood flow and improve your carnal renal syndrome. While the renal dysfunction is persisting, you may need to have dose adjustments of renal, uh, renally cleared medications, for example, spironolactone, and the apixaban may need to either be held or cut in half. Some of the practical tips while managing someone who has cardiorenal syndrome is that you should try and maintain your serum potassium somewhere between four and 5.5. You should also make sure that you check magnesium levels as you're adjusting your diuretic therapy as they are tightly linked to potassium levels. Because the isolated measure of serum creatinine may not accurately reflect the degree of renal dysfunction, you should be using EGFR to evaluate renal function while you are maintaining diuretic therapy and um, assessing this patient's volume status. Again, I would like to reiterate that changes in EGFR after commencing therapy are not necessarily associated with renal worsening outcome and that volume status and the amount of congestion for any given diuretic dose and diuretic strategy needs to be the first and foremost uh, therapeutic goal that you're assessing. 
You need, however, to monitor uh, renal function and electrolytes. And if a patient is uh, otherwise comorbid with other concomitant illnesses, such as dehydration, acute uh, sepsis, or whatnot, uh, this is even more important. So hopefully I've tried to demystify some of the angst that people might have when they are faced with worsening renal function in someone who clearly is otherwise volume overloaded. And the question is what to do with the diuretic therapy. I think that the key messages I'd like to leave you with is that patients with this condition, cardiorenal syndrome, are complicated and a multidisciplinary team with experience in the area should be involved. If this is not available at your local hospital, um, hopefully there is a local um, center with expertise that you can give a phone call or have virtual advice. Uh, I want to remind individuals here that cardiorenal syndrome is an interaction with renal dysfunction and heart failure, inter, uh, heart failure um, interact and unfortunately reinforce this, uh, each other and therefore both need to be treated and uh, both need to be taken into consideration uh, and not in isolation. And that the treatment of cardiorenal syndrome therefore cannot be um, divorced from the treatment of heart failure and therefore in fact may involve more diuretic therapy, not less. For patients with optimal medical therapy and high loop uh, dose loop diuretics with persistent volume overload, in fact, a second diuretic may need to be considered. While this is going on, you need to monitor the entire patient and ensure that adequate systemic perfusion is maintained and that hyperperfusion therapy is treated when necessary to optimize the diuretic response. Patients who have cardiorenal syndrome who then develop diuretic resistance may need to be trialed in what we refer to as stepped pharmacological therapy for volume overload. So uh, hopefully this has helped you to understand uh, cardiorenal syndrome when it complicates heart failure. Um, and I'd like to thank uh, the organizing committee um, and uh, Novartis and the BI Lilly Alliance for providing an educational grant uh, to enable this lecture series and the podcast series to uh, occur. I would thank you very much for your attention and we remain available should you have any additional questions. Thank you very much. Thank you.